NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Well, that was a super fast summer, and here we are again, a brand new school year and another 180 days of purpose and possibility. Uh, my thoughts and best wishes for all the teachers out there embarking on the challenge, the unknown, and all of the hopes for a new year. I am finger snapping and applauding all of you from Connecticut. We got this. Uh, my name is Brian Ripley Crandall, and I'm the director of the Connecticut Writing Project at Fairfield University. With me, as always, is the wonderful, the brilliant, and the dedicated director of national programs, Tanya Baker. How's it going, Tanya? Hey, Brian. Yes, it is indeed actually September, and everyone in the National Writing Project office and across the nation are optimistic and focused on a new school year, including more opportunities to highlight great teacher leaders, children's and young adult authors, and influential minds on the show the right time. We knew that we wanted to have a back to school special that is on the pulse of what educators are talking about right now. And it is a true pleasure to have with us today, Felicia Rose Chavez, author of the Anti-Racist Writing Workshop, How to Decolonize a Creative Classroom, and Dr. Tanya Perry from the Red Mountain Writing Project in Birmingham, Alabama. Welcome to you both. Well, yeah, last fall, um, I saw an announcement um, on, on one of the listers that there's this new book coming out on the anti-racist anti writing workshop, and it was being released by Haymarket Press. Um, I pre-ordered a couple of copies for my teachers at my site, and they arrived, we read them, and we realized, okay, this is such a good book, we need to kind of open this up to a larger community. So we invited several site leaders and teachers from across the United States, and we had a little book club um, via Zoom and discussing the need for more teachers to have copies of this book. Uh, uh, Dr. Perry was a part of that, and so I'm so glad she's with us tonight, but I have the fortune to introduce Felicia Rose Chavez, as an award-winning educator with an MFA in creative nonfiction from the University of Iowa. Her teaching career began in Chicago. Ah, you think I could talk tonight? Her teaching <laughs> career began in Chicago, where she served as program director to young Chicago authors and founded Girl Speak, a feminist webzine for high school students. She went on to teach writing at the University of New Mexico, where she was distinguished as the most innovative instructor of the year, the <laughs> University of Iowa, where she was distinguished as the outstanding instructor of the year, and Colorado College, where she received the Theodore Roosevelt Collins Outstanding Faculty Award. Originally from Albuquerque, New Mexico, she currently serves as the Creativity and Innovation Scholar in Residence at Colorado College, and Brian's going to be practicing saying Chicago for the rest of the evening. Over to you, Tanya. <laughs> Well, Brian, when you pitched the idea of hosting Felicia on the right time, we both said, but who would be the perfect teacher leader to match with this author? And then I think we said in stereo, oh, Dr. Tanya Perry, of course, we needed to see, we need to see if Dr. Tanya Perry would like to take part in the show. And that, thank goodness, is who is with us today. We couldn't be more delighted in this pairing that we have this week. So I'd like to tell you, um, I've heard Tanya give the most beautiful and warm introductions to colleagues. So I wanna start by saying uh, Tanya is an invaluable member of our community, uh, a good friend to Brian and me. And um, also I'm going to tell you a million awards 
and accolades that she has received professionally. She is the professor and executive director for Gear Up Alabama and Red Mountain Writing Project. In 2000, 2001, she was named Alabama Teacher of the Year and further awarded National Teacher of the Year finalist. In 2012, she was named by colleagues and students, the recipient of the UAB Teaching Excellence Award. On a national level, she serves as a member of the Research on Women in Education Executive Board affiliated with AERA. She's the director of NCTE's Cultivating New Voices program and a member of the beloved community in the National Writing Project. She's also a former NCTE executive board member. And in December, we are so thankful she will join the National Writing Project Board of Directors. Uh, she would say about herself that she loves her colleagues and collaboration, and we would say about her, we are so thankful for that. Tanya and Felicia, Brian and I can't wait for this conversation to come. We are super excited by the show to follow. With that, Tanya, we would invite you to invite listeners, if they choose, to pause and write for a minute. Can you tell them what you might suggest that they write about to get warmed up for this excellent conversation? Absolutely. And I just want to say how wonderful it is to be in this space. Um, you know, when you're with your colleagues, no matter where they are, you can always feel the heartbeat when it's uh, that reciprocity. And so I just am so thankful for you and Brian. And now my new friend, Felicia. So <laughs> tonight we're going to, uh, today we're going to do a, a little writing. And um, I want you to think about what is it about your writing instruction that you would like to re-envision in order to create an anti-racist approach to writing in your own classroom. So just take a minute or so and think about that. Think about your own writing instruction and what is it about that writing instruction that you want to change to create a, uh, an anti-racist approach. So we'll just take a minute to think about that. If you have an opportunity, just get a pen or pencil and just jot down a few ideas. And then we'll go into conversation with the, the lovely guest we have tonight, the brilliant scholar, uh, Felicia Chavez. I am gonna say, Tanya, that people can pause the video as they're watching if they want to take some time to write, but we wanna get right onto the conversation. So I'm gonna stop sharing my screen. Brian and I are gonna go off screen and leave you to it. Um, and we're thankful and we'll see you again on the other side. Sounds good. Thank you. Well, hello, Felicia. It's so good to have Hi. you here tonight. Thank How you so much. I'm I'm nervous. I've said that once before. I'm nervous both just out of um, you know anticipation for this opportunity and this conversation. Um, your reputation um, is is stellar, and I'm excited to to talk shop um, tonight. I'm also a little nervous because I have a very um, uh, moody young person downstairs, two-year-old, uh, who's expressing himself quite loudly throughout. I had myself muted and I'm hoping that it stops very soon. I was like madly uh, texting my husband. So <laughs> hopefully we can uh, hear one another as we have this exchange. Well, you know, Felicia, you're among friends and you're among people who adore children and understand development. So <laughs> yes. do not worry, girl, we're good, we got you. Perfect, perfect. Well, I'm so glad to be here with you tonight, and, uh, and your book is wonderful, and, you know, I was with Brian in his book club that he created with the people in his own site, as well as people across the nation, and we had a chance to speak with you, um, even in the book club, and it was just, 
refreshing to receive this kind of work and these words and this and heartfelt work, you know. But uh, not everybody's listened to us tonight. He's read every chapter and every word. I just want just a you know a little background. Just talk about how you came to this work and you know why is it that anti-racism is so important to you, particularly in creative writing classrooms. Go for Felicia. <laughs> I think that this sort of anti-racism as a, a choice, a profession, wasn't necessarily what I had in mind in terms of my vision for my career path, right? It was something that I think all of us as people of color practice on a daily basis, whether or not we choose to speak up, whether we choose to embody whatever it is that we're feeling, our response, right? Um, how we use anger as inner knowledge, right? And where we channel that knowledge, what actions we take as a result of that knowledge. I think that I've been like fighting that fight throughout this educational journey. And when I had an opportunity to sit down on the page, it was what my body wanted to write about. Like it was unavoidable. It was, you know, I, I thought, a million things. I thought I was so afraid um, to to share um, reflections from my past. I call the book a memoir, right? Because I, I wanted to look backward and say, this is where I've been. And it shaped who I am now, but it also more importantly shapes the steps that I want to take in the future to grow as an educator. Um, so I had an opportunity to first share through an invitation. And that was at um, an international conference. Um, it was just a 10 minute speech about um, a graduate course that I had created at the University of Iowa um, toward a new canon was the name of this course. The whole purpose of which was just to read contemporary writers of color, which I hadn't had the chance to do in three years of graduate study. Um, and so I made it myself, right? Um, and, and was just supposed to spend 10 minutes talking about the choice to make that class. Um, but again, I had to look back and I had to talk about my experience within that program in order to explain um, the pedagogical choices for that particular course. Um, and in doing so, it was like this tremendous release uh, of emotion and this also this tremendous fear, like I was betraying the folks I'd gone to school with, the people who had taught me. Um, and that was something that I've, I battled with throughout writing the manuscript, but that was that first iteration, that first invitation um, beyond just embodying it and channeling that knowledge to my own students. It was an invitation to publicly share those stories. And I, I took folks up on that invitation and took it as far as I could with the, with the manuscript. That's wonderful, you know, being able to tell your truth. And I, I imagine that when you first started that, that could be a little scary because, you know, you think about what will other people think, but you had to tell your truth, yeah. right? Yeah. And you had to really tell your story um, and you had to get it out. And because you did, other people now understand a story that otherwise we wouldn't have perhaps have access to, you know, so you're just, you, you sharing your story has opened up a whole window for um, other people to be able to have that lens. And uh, I know it may not have felt that way at the time, but boy, um, what a task and a feat and just so glad you did it. 
Thank you. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't ask others to do it right. As I do throughout the book of like really assessing, stepping back, reflecting, deeply assessing your own practices without doing it myself. Like I had to step back and say, okay, if this is what you're asking of your readers, you need to ask the same of yourself and really sit in that place. It's an uncomfortable place because we all enact these practices whether it's institutional racism, um, individual racism and bias, or just internalized after years and years of, of these same um, pedagogical patterns. And so um, thank you for saying that. And, and it, the, it, we're, if only I could go back in time and reassure that writer that like, yeah, it's, it's um, everything's gonna be okay and, and, and go forward, move forward. That's right. And so um, I want, can you talk some more about um, the writing workshop? You know, you talk about in your book um, some ways in which membership necessitates mutual participation. You talk about um, being able to have equal membership and equal access. And um, I think that's something that uh, we, we are dealing with, but I don't think that we are really clear sometimes about our own practice. So what are some ways that we may think that our writing workshop is inclusive, um, that we are doing what's right, but we might enact some practices that say otherwise. Um, can you talk some about that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very easy to do because we have um, a standard, we have a norm, we have a, 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 of inheritance and a tradition in terms of teaching practices, right? Um, and often that upholds this notion of neutrality and universality and objectivity, um, masking whiteness as a standard, right? And so um, when we're aiming to, I, you know, I talk about the book and these twin goals of the book of decentering whiteness um, and white supremacy um, and decentering authority. Uh, and so when we look at our classroom practices, we're thinking, um, how can I decenter whiteness? Some of us are doing that work, right? So we're aiming to have an inclusive workshop by diversifying our mentor texts, um, by inviting student voice into, into our practice. Um, but if we go deeper and we think about how do we decenter authority, right? Um, as in, uh, you know, expertise, um, here are the published writers, the writers to, to mimic, to fill in the blank in terms of the, the you know, a, a sample poem um, to, um, the, the aim being sound like this person, the expert, um, and also our own expertise. Um, let me tell you how to change your work um, word by word so that you are writing well, like you, this is good writing now, now that I've manipulated it. And so, um, you know, I think the headliner that um, is a practice that that the traditional writing workshop model is, is founded on is silence. And so we silence our writers as they receive critique from their classmates. And this happens at all, my kindergartner participated in this tradition. So it happens across the spectrum. Um, you know, they sit in the writer's chair and they're and they're quiet as they hear everyone else's feedback. Um, I do believe that that is an incredibly um, 
uh, harmful practice when we're training our young people that in order to best exercise voice, they need to silence themselves um, in order to hear, really hear um, what's wrong with, with what they've created. Um, there's not value inherent to their work as is, right? Um, and so, you know, that that's, that's the major piece of the traditional model that I would immediately dismantle. There's many others. Um, you know, I obviously advocate for this pedagogical approach of allyship over authority. And so we're listening more than we're talking at our young people. We're listening to them. We're listening to their, this, this literary legacy that they bring into the classroom, who they love, who they gravitate toward in terms of who they're reading, who they're listening to, what they're watching, what they're interested in, what they want to write and why, um, what they felt about their work and where they want to direct our eye in terms of feedback. Um, if we zoom out, we're thinking of like learning goals, right? And, and a lot of times it's, well, you need to learn this, this, and this because the state mandates that that's what you need to learn. If we step out of that and we think, you know, how can assessment be learning? Um, what if we reconceptualize what the outcome of this exchange could potentially be, right? If instead of um, learning to write that thesis statement and the supporting paragraphs in the conclusion, important skills to have, but my goal for you is to gain confidence or my goal for you is to exercise curiosity, um, to aim to take risk or to aim to be vulnerable, right? And then that sort of shifts our learning standards. So I could go on and on. There's a million things, but I think I think the biggest is, is silence. And then from there, really thinking about how to decenter our own authority over our students. You know, Felicia, while you were talking, I was thinking about uh, this idea of shifting control and power mm -hmm. and truly having a space where you share, right? You know, where we, we really um, uh, value what is being said by the student and rather than say, oh yeah, aha, uh -huh, but, mm -hmm. right? But mm -hmm. we really say, oh, okay, well, how can we make this win? How can we make this a win-win, right? Because I'm, I'm learning something about you and from you and hopefully we could have an exchange as opposed to, you know, my way being the only way in which this workshop can work, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love this idea. I could see, can't, I could see a, a writing workshop where a kid has uh, these ideas um, and they are appreciated by their, their uh, classmates, right? As opposed to forcing classmates to give criticism or else it's not really a good workshop if you don't always get criticism just from my lens about what I think about your work you know that really could be damaging it it can and it is <laughs> it is I mean I've been in workshops where adults you know in a, in a graduate level workshop are have to get drunk before they sit down and, and are able to endure that or they're sobbing afterward in the hallway or in the bathroom um, sometimes in the seat uh, in in class and, and no one's really acting to to just be a human being to that other writer um, absolutely I think um, rather than a um, 
there's many different ways to workshop. And one of them is this, this like nurturing environment about like, what are you trying to do? Oh, let's talk about it. You know, that's really exciting. Let's, let's swap ideas. Um, an alternative way is, is what do you, what are you having difficulty with? What do you want to change, right? What do you want feedback on and allowing them to guide a session of critique so that they're hitting the things that they're truly sincerely struggling with. And so I think that when it comes from them, they know their work best and we're trusting them that they know their work best. And that takes some scaffolding. That takes that legwork of really teaching them craft concepts and really understanding, you know, what it is we're trying to achieve in a particular piece of writing. But when it comes from them, I don't understand imagery, right? That's, that's wonderful. That's an invitation to a conversation that's springing from them. Um, what do you all think? How is it going in this piece? And, and let's, let's move forward in terms of how to evolve this piece from, from you. Absolutely. I just think of a, uh, an image of pouring, right? Pouring into them, they're pouring into each other, pouring yeah. into the work, yeah. you know, yeah. as opposed to us always like pulling and taking away. Um, I was a, 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 a writing teacher who believed in the, uh, the input of the students and how important that was, you know, um, at a time when I don't know that that was necessarily an accepted practice because mm -hmm. standardized tests ruled. You know, so we may have some teachers who really want to create these nurturing spaces where they share the power, but they're afraid of, you know, test scores. They're afraid of, you know, the traditional, letting go of the traditional way because of uh, school takeover or um, other mandates. Can you talk some more about that? You hit on that just a minute ago, Felicia. I was like, she's getting ready to go to my next question. <laughs> I'm jumping ahead. I, well, I, you know, I get wordy. I just, I'm, I'm like, this is, this is everything to me. This is like, I, I call it heart work. It's, it's my passion and, and I get really excited and then I get kind of wordy and I'm sorry about that, but um, no, I, I, I hear this a lot. Okay. It's, it's this reception of the concepts and, and folks are like, yeah, that sounds amazing, but, and there's often a, but, um, but I have this person to report to, but my students are largely this, but I work with this community. And, and every time I reiterate that the, um, the book that I put out is in no way, um, the way to move forward. It's a way to move forward that worked for me with my particular student community. So I'm constantly encouraging educators, how can you take and exercise that imaginative empathy, read into those memoir sections and say, wow, okay, I have, I have a different understanding now. I want to make choices, but I'm within this confines. Um, how can you adapt this creatively to best serve your student community? Um, we all know our students best, right? We know the responsibilities that we have to them as well as for them in terms of this bureaucratic standards. So, um, I've talked about, you know, just not assuming that every student is in the same 
place with their writing and not pitting students against each other in this model of um, hierarchy and competition. This is the best writer in the class. Let's have this best writer read aloud so everyone can learn from the best writer, right? Instead, step back and ask, what is this writer trying to achieve in terms of the standard that we need to meet in this class? And how can I help each and every person, right? How can I personalize my approach to best serve that student as a whole person, not, not just a brain that they're bringing into the classroom, but a body and a heart and a history. So if we honor our students in that way as whole people, allowing them to have voice in exchange with us, recognizing that we all need to get there, right, to X, Y, and Z by the end of this session, um, you know, we're, we're just adopting a more, a more human approach. Um, I've, I've had folks say, listen, I'm paying for this experience. <laughs> You're going to line edit my work, right? And I'm absolutely fine to do so. I can adapt to their request, but I can do so in a way that I still uphold this, um, this goal of, of like an anti-racist exchange. So we sit down together side by side and I go through maybe a page, maybe two pages of their work. And I, I have a conversation with them. I'm making this change. What do you think about this change? Here's why I'm making this change, right? Do you like it? Do not give me an argument to keep this particular move that you made on the page, right? And, and in having that conversation, they learn so much about editing that they hadn't learned when it was just passive. Here, here are my notes, change it, right? Hand it back into me. So I think there are many ways to accomplish um, an anti-racist agenda without necessarily having to replicate each and everything that that I may lay out or, or another, um, you know, anti-racist activist um, may lay out. Take it, adopt it, and apply it to your particular community. Well, that's beautiful. I can um, I can remember I had students who were um, they're like, "You're the expert in the room. What do you think about my paper?" Mm -hmm. like, you know. And then that exchange then had this power dynamic to it, right? Rather than this collaborative spirit, you know, and then critique of your own work and thinking about what it is that you have in it and what you want to change. You know, I don't really care about what everybody in the room thinks about it. I want to know what you think about it because you're grading my work, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, that's the expectation. And that's understandable, right? That's what they've been trained in. They're really good at that. Um, but what we're teaching them is passivity. Um, I talk about exercising voice, but I'm not, you know, and, and yes, I want that voice on the page. I want students to feel like they um, can access something about themselves and translate it into something that they're proud of. But I also think of voice in terms of self-advocating and that's the skill, that's the big macro learning goal that I want them all to walk away with is, you know, tell me what you need to tell me. Now let me tell you what I need to tell you too. It's a partnership and an exchange. And if we can get our students there, then they can maybe hopefully self-advocate in situations moving forward. Um, I, I think that's beautiful. Um, but we have some work to do. You know, we've got some colonized ways of thinking and being that have been around for a long time. And so they're really seeped into our practices. And I think as teachers, uh, sometimes we do them without question, right? Because we have been, we have a history of performing writing in a certain way and executing it. And, uh, you know, really to dig deeply 
Felicia, and really look at our practices, uh, that can be difficult because sometimes you can't even deconstruct your own practice because you're so colonized in the ways in which you were taught how to do these things, right? And uh, that's what was so beautiful about the book group. We got a chance to kind of talk about, you know, what our practices were, what we were enacting with our students, and then really start to examine you know, what it is that we wanted to change about our practice, which was also the prompt we started here with today. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, this idea of having this kind of classroom and the, these uh, targets that you talk about, um, I really appreciate it. And I, I'd like to think that um, we're, we want to create what I call interrupter classrooms. They're, they're anti-racist spaces with um, some traditional writing practices that give little room you know, for this way of thinking, but we really want to um, have teachers who have interrupter classrooms where they, you know, the, the balance of power and the, the sharing and the collaboration is there. And you've hit on this some, but I want you to talk about from the, uh, from your standpoint, uh, is there anything else you can add that you would tell teachers, you know, this, you know, as you're starting to think through becoming an interrupter, interrupting these classroom practices here's some things that you might want to think about you know you talked about mentor text mm -hmm. you talked about sharing of of power in a classroom is there anything else that maybe a teacher or maybe we might want to think about as we start um, looking at our own practices and really deconstructing our practices yeah i think um I think that just as as our students, we see it so clearly with our students, they have habits in their writing. And we say, look, you're doing it over and over again right? yes. <laughs> on autopilot. Sometimes they don't even realize it. They don't see it. And that's why we say, can we have a second set of eyes to look over this piece of writing? As adults, we do this all the time. Um, hopefully, we're seeking out someone safe in order to have that exchange. Mm. Um, we as educators also need to follow through on that same practice. We need a second set of eyes, right? We have teaching habits that we replicate on a daily basis, especially when we're overwhelmed, when we're stressed, when we're flustered, which is like 100% of the time, right? You know, we're, we're, um, we're tired and we care so much. Um, it's impossible not to lean back on what I call that inheritance, those habits, what we've learned through like osmosis by just being in the room, being a student in the room. This is the way it's done. Um, and we've done it over and over. We're, you know, we're students for life, right? Um, and so taking that time and investing in questions like you posed at the beginning of, of this conversation um, and, and a, an ongoing series of questions, I, I lay them out in the book. I lay them out every time that I have a professional development opportunity with teachers. I just ask them questions and they write and they think and they leave saying, wow, you know, but it's, it's really just taking the time to ask like our students, what's your relationship to writing? What's your relationship to reading? How do you do it? And why do you do it in that way? We ask ourselves the same thing. How were you taught to read? How were you taught to write? Um, what might you be unconsciously replicating in your teaching approach today, these habits 
right? What choices can we make? What does an anti-racist classroom even look like? And believe it or not, that means something different to every single person. There's no one definition. So defining that for yourself, having a conversation with someone else. And, and the goal here is to be completely transparent, like with yourself, be real with yourself and your insecurities, your fears, your doubts, your hopes, right? Um, and and when you can be transparent with yourself, that's the next step is to have a conversation with someone else, that second set of eyes. Here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? Can we grow this thing together? Can we be bold and risk change together? Because we're asking it of our students, you need to stop those habits. You need to engage in risk-taking and try a different way. So let's take that on ourselves as educators. Wow. So you should have so many thoughts in my head about um, all the things that I'm thinking about that I would want to change, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, how it is that I can enact that. And then I was thinking about, I need a teaching buddy, a safe teaching buddy, right? Yeah. Who can um, come and visit me or watch a clip of something I've done. And then I have to be ready to have loving, uh, not critique, but loving direction, loving input, about those things that I say I want to be transparent about, you know, and that I, so that I can become a better teacher for my students. You know, there's a, that's one thing. There's one, one thing to um, say you're transparent. And the other thing is to really be transparent. You know, this okay. idea of my closet has like five sizes in it. The, you know, the size that I really am <laughs> and the size that I think I will one day be back into, right? And, yeah. You know, this idea of being real with myself, like, Girl, you need to let those little pieces go because you're not going to get back in those. But this idea of really being transparent and honest with yourself and having a, a teaching buddy who can go on this journey with you. I love that. I, I even, you know, I obviously teach college students. And so there's a different set of standards within that particular classroom as opposed to a K through 12 classroom. But um, I do have the opportunity to use my students as that teaching buddy, right? So I'll come in and say, I'm attempting an anti-racist agenda for this particular course that we're aiming for, whatever the course may be. Um, here's what we're going to try. I need feedback on if it's working or not. I need you to hold me accountable if I'm slipping from this agenda. Um, I'm going to hold you accountable if you're slipping from it too. And so, you know, in, in that way, like it doesn't necessarily, if you can't find the person, right, your people, your community, your group of students can also hold you accountable to that work too. Um, yeah. You know, um, you, you're taking me back. I had a student who really held me accountable because mm-hmm. I think I'd, I'd said that I wanted something to occur during the workshop. And once it occurred, I think I rejected it. You know, I think I wanted truth in the workshop. And then I wanted, trans- I did want transparency. And this was in the eighth grade classroom. And this young man, I can't remember all the details, but this young man, he stood up, he said, I thought you asked us for the truth and we've given you the truth, but then you're saying, this is not what you want. He said, do you, he pretty much said, do you want the truth or not? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so. I ended up going to outside with him and sitting on the curb with a, another teacher watching my class. So I want you to know that. I didn't <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes. But we ended up going to the curb and, you know, he was right. Mm-hmm. He was right. You know, there was, there was something about the writing I'd asked for that I rejected. And 
he called me on the carpet on that thing, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But there had to be a space for that kind of dialogue too. Absolutely, right? So those students are problematic. Those students are troublemakers. Those students are, uh-oh, watch out. You got this student enrolled in your class, right? Um, what if we flip that on its head? And what if those are the students who are exemplifying learning at, at a at a pace that's they're outpacing their peers because they're exercising that ability to self-advocate, to partner in the classroom, to be active in their own learning journeys as opposed to passive and good and and the star student, right? Um, Replicating exactly what it is that we're asking them to do in the way that we're asking them to do it. Sometimes using the words, the exact words that have come out of our mouths. Um, We we shower those, those students with praise. And so when we flip it and we allow them opportunity to lead in that way, um, we're teaching them something big, I think. I think so too. You know, this you you named a lot of qualities that we want to see from our students and in the writing workshop that are not tested. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Confidence, yeah. right? Yeah. Risk takers, um, being able to um, explore and mm-hmm. uh, with language and ideas. Um, and those are all things that are not uh, congruent with how we're tested and um, in these standardized spaces. But these are such important skills for our students to have as human beings. You know, how do you test someone having humanity going up to the student who um, needs a support during, you know, sometimes a, a, a writing workshop gone wrong, right? How do, how do you quantify that? What is that, right? When you have another writer showing humanity and really listening to another student and really helping that student craft his idea, not in his own words, the, the person who's listening, but in the words of the student who's there. You know, we're just, um, I think that's beautiful. But at none of those things you, you named were on a test. Um, but when they do achieve a sense of confidence, I've had so many students who enter into my classroom, they, you know, in, in teaching a first year writing program, sometimes my students, I'd say about 50% of the time, they don't self-select into my class. Um, so they will be the first to tell me that they are not writers. They are not creative. They cannot do this. They're all, you know, they're science brained, math brained. Um, and at the end of the class, they say, I'm a writer, Right. That's confidence that will translate into a test later on. Whether or not they test off the charts, right? That's its own thing. But the fact that they have the confidence to say, I'm not gonna shut down at the opportunity to write because yeah, I can do this, right? So it it does play in. I think there's an intersection, Um, but, but no, no, we haven't yet achieved that beautiful world where, where those are the standards, but that's why I set them myself. That's why I set those, those larger assessment goals for me and my students. I put the words on the, on the board every single time we meet really big so that they know they're aiming for vulnerability. They're aiming for, um, uh, you know, truth telling, as you said, right there, there it's, it's reiterating to them what really matters. The other stuff is just they're just exercises, you know, we're just, we're just trying things out and, and hopefully we get better at them over time. 
Absolutely. And I can't believe our time is almost up. I, know. I, I didn't get through a lot of questions. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe our time is almost up, but I just want to give you an opportunity to, to share anything that maybe we haven't touched on that you believe is important for teachers as writers, teachers of writing, uh, to be able to hear and even across disciplines, you know, I know that we were talking about the creative writing workshop, but just even across disciplines, is there anything that maybe we haven't shared or discussed that you feel like, you know what, I need to make sure that, you know, we talk about this thing because I don't want this conversation to end without mm -hmm. people understanding this. Is there something that, um, yeah. I think the more we come to this conversation with openness, not based on the narrow confines of what type of um, discipline we represent, but instead the fact that we're educators working with groups of students. It doesn't matter if it's a writing workshop. It doesn't matter if it's a science lab. It doesn't matter you know, if it's an econ class. To me, these are all means of storytelling. We're all collecting information whether it be lived information, gathered information, and we're relaying it to one another. Writing is a practice that we um, participate in throughout our entire lives. Um, and so when, when we are completely um, transparent about the, the inherent nature of storytelling as, as part of our as part of each and every one of our lives, then we can more fully embrace the concepts in the book and, and the conversations that occur because of, of the book or because of this, this you know, library of texts that are available to us today in this really exciting movement for anti-racist work in the classroom. I, I just encourage us all not to shut down um, because, because of how we define the discipline that we represent, but also not to shut down out of fear um, and, and self-judgment because each and every one of us replicates these um, pedagogical practices. Um, and so it's just an opportunity to make different choices as teachers. And when looked at that way, it becomes so simple. Um, and I, I just wanna encourage us all to, to, just, to just take on the opportunity to make more beautiful choices for our students. Oh, that's a wonderful way to, to um, end our discussion, Felicia. You know, this, this idea of, of humanity and listening to our students and inviting people into the space as opposed to, you know, commanding the space for yourself, even though you may not think so, right? Mm -hmm. um, this idea across all disciplines of, of having an inclusive classroom where uh, mentor text can mirror different people and different ideas, you know, and then truly being open to what your students are saying uh, to you and with you um, and just having that kind of openness. I love this. I absolutely <laughs> do. And uh, thank you so much for your work. Uh, thank you for having the courage to write it. Thank you for your truth telling. Um, we in the Writing Project um, have just enjoyed uh, learning from you and from your work. So thank you, Felicia. Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much. Ryan, you usually jump right in at this point. I do. I, I'm actually, I'm so, aw, you know, kind of like starstruck, awestruck uh, <laughs> of both 
of everybody in this room right now um, because that conversation was so rich. And, and I realized that we could go for another 45 minutes, um, do a week, two weeks, <laughs> series. Um, but part of it, I mean, the membership in the community is what the National Writing Project's always been about. And, um, and so, so much of what you are writing resonates. Um, one of the things that I, I kind of wrestle with as a, as a K-12 educator, but also now teaching in the academy and being in esoteric spaces because our institutions of higher education tend to cater to particular bodies of people who have historically been more privileged than others. And so some of like when you're doing a writing workshop in the collegiate level is very different than the K-12 level. And um, I just wanna encourage the teachers that are out there that have super diverse, inclusive classrooms because they're in American public schools, they live and do this work by default every single day because they look into their beautiful classrooms and if it's out there in America, it's in their classroom spaces. And some of us in higher ed, we don't necessarily see that super diversity because the institution of higher ed itself is designed with a colonial practice of keeping people out in a way and othered. And I, and I think that your book calls all of us to task and, um, and I really appreciate that. Um, and I think there are many, many more conversations still to be had. Tanya? <laughs> um, I'm gonna give it back to Tanya to give people an opportunity to reflect on what they've heard. But before I do, I have to say, um, to make this personal, uh, because <laughs> my daughter is in a, is, um, a senior and in a creative writing class, which she hasn't been in for a long time. And she called me today at lunch and we talked about, her creative writing class and I'm going to send her this book tomorrow in the mail <laughs> but um, I'm going to say Felicia I'm sure you have many projects but I feel like um, it would be so lovely to have a companion for young people in, who are ahead of their instructors like how can they take over these spaces when the instructor isn't caught up to them yet um, so if you don't have anything else to do you can write that book <laughs> an amazing um, idea. I love this idea. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Well, I'm giving it to you. Yeah. yeah. You got my uh, wheels turning. I like it. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you so much. And we'll close with some thanks. But before we do, people might really want to um, process this amazing conversation. And um, uh oh, let's see. Oh, here we go. Uh, I would turn it to Tanya to give people a way to write their way out of the conversation. So lead us, Tanya. Uh, thanks, Tanya. And uh, what a beautiful conversation tonight. Uh, I've just thoroughly enjoyed uh, being among and with um, all of you. And Felicia, thank you for um, your heart and your hard work. Um, so let's talk about this with um, all of you who are out there listening and watching. Um, now that you've heard this, what is it about your writing instruction that you would like to re-envision in order to create an anti-racist approach to writing? Um, what will be your first step? What is it that you will, you will do uh, to start examining your own practice? And what's that first step you'll take to change? Um, perhaps something you've heard tonight will, uh, 
lead you to think more carefully and critically about um, what you want to do to make your classroom more inclusive. Thank you, Tanya. I love the idea of asking people to, asking all of us to think about our first step because sometimes the road looks long, but we can see our first step. It's a lovely way for us to end. Um, this has been a great show and it's so wonderful. I mean, I'm an old school teacher who thinks that the most important day of the year is Labor Day because everything starts after that. And I know many of our listeners have been in school for a month and they're rolling their eyes, but this has been a lovely way to kick off the school year here at the National Writing Project. And I'm very thankful to you, Felicia, for, as Tanya said, um, making this book and giving us a touchstone to have these conversations and to do this work and for coming on tonight to talk to us about it. I'm always um, excited and thankful for any opportunity to work with you, Tanya. So thanks for leading the um, network and being here uh, uh, to represent us all in this conversation. It's really appreciative. Uh, and I want to say to listeners, uh, thank you for being here. And if you're new to the National Writing Project, you can go to nwp.org and you can um, sign up for our newsletter so you never miss another uh, these conversations and all the other opportunities that, that being in the network affords. Um, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, if you are looking for teaching buddies, as Tanya suggested, we all need, and Felicia uh, noted, could be um, fellow teachers across the grade span, could be your students. But if you're looking for some teaching buddies, we would invite you to join us in the Nat right now teacher studio. Uh, you can find that at studio.nwp.org, and you'll find couple thousand teachers and they're working together, sharing their practice, sharing resources and sharing ideas. And many people will be viewing this um, from there and you should join us because that's a great place to find some teaching buddies. Uh, thanks everybody for a great conversation tonight. I really appreciate it. Beautiful, thank you. NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. 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 NWP.